Be Holy. We started it last week. I kicked it off last week. It's, uh, we're in the number two or three. And we're looking at uh, what we can learn from the book of Leviticus, which is, uh, as, Re- as Rebecca already said, which is a book of the Bible, uh, as we sort of ascertained last week, not so many of you have read. About half the people in the room put their hands up to say they'd read Leviticus. It's not a particularly well-known book of the Bible, and yet we're going to be looking at it across these few weeks to try and learn from it what, how God speaks to us and challenges us in our lives lived out for him. And the, the overall message of this, uh, this interesting book of Leviticus is, if you like, be holy. Uh, and we're going to be looking at what that means for us and the different things we can draw out from the different uh, passages. So last week, um, we looked at some food laws about things that you were allowed to eat and not allowed to eat, not for us today, but for the Israelites back then, and looked at our sort of childlike acceptance of God's ways for us and how we grow in him and be holy in that way. So we're going to be looking at some if like, even odder passages in those this morning. So um, in the New Testament, which is written to Christians, there's this verse here in a book of Peter, written by Peter, one of Jesus' best mates, one of his disciples. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written... Be holy because I am holy. And that's a quote from Leviticus. That's the sort of message of Leviticus to us that we are called to be a holy people even as God is holy, whatever that means exactly. So before we get into today's passage, again, a quick reminder about the book of Leviticus. Some of you may remember this from last week. Some of you maybe weren't around. Uh, So here's the Bible, the Holy Bible. It's quite a big book. There's, in fact, 66 books in the book, and it's split into two big sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament was written before Jesus was born and walked this earth, and then Jesus was born, did all his miracles, died, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and then people wrote about him, the New Testament, um, but kind of based on some of the ways the Old Testament looking forward to him. So Leviticus is, a, this is a very broad timeline, isn't it? Not, uh, not a super detailed, but Leviticus is one of the very earliest books of the Old Testament. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And it was written uh, by Moses, scholars debate it, but written by Moses as God spoke to Moses for the Israelites who were in the wilderness at times. So the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of uh, Egypt from slavery through the Red Sea, heading towards the promised land, but they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness, and this is where God spoke to them about how he wanted them to live, how he wanted them to be a nation following him. And uh, Leviticus, in that sense, is a lot of rules of how God wanted his people uh, to behave. And it's an old book, as I said, three and a half thousand years old, well before the Romans, etc. joined. And so some of the things that are written now strike us today as very, very odd and require some thought about how they uh, can encourage us in our faith. So we're looking at Leviticus 13. This is not all of Leviticus 13, but some of the verses at the start and then some verses right at the end. So here we are. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron is Moses' brother and he's the high priest. When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, that may be a defining skin disease. They must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons who is a priest. And the priest is to examine the sore on the skin. And if the hair in the sore has turned white, and if the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. 
Okay, it's good stuff, isn't it? I knew you'd be excited about this. It keeps going. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them, excuse me, ceremonially, I can't say it, let's try it again, ceremonially, unclean, if the shiny spot on the skin is white, but does not appear to be more than skin deep, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. You're glad we don't live under these rules, aren't we? The food laws were odd. This is really bizarre, isn't it? On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them, and if he sees that the sore is unchanged and has not spread in the skin, he is to isolate them for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them again, and if the sore has faded and has not spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce them clean. It is only a rash. They must wash their clothes and they will be clean. But... If the rash does spread in their skin, after they have shown themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean, they must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine that person, and if the rash has spread in the skin, he should pronounce them unclean. It is a defiling skin disease. Uh, some of you are scratching at the moment, I see, but please don't. Um, it goes on for some other particular skin disease conditions. The end of Leviticus 13, it says this, Anyone with such a defiling disease, must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt. Lower, uh, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. One of the reasons for doing Leviticus is to try and encourage you guys to actually read the book. Now, when you read stuff like this, maybe it's not encouraging so much. What are we going to get out of this? What, what's going on? And hopefully we are glad that we live in New Covenant, New Testament days under the grace of Jesus and not in Old Testament days and stuff. So, uh, covering one little bit about skin disease. There's a part of, uh, a, a quote here. Oh, sorry. Holiness in Leviticus is symbolized by wholeness, completeness. Animals must be perfect to be used in sacrifice, you read that. The priest must be without any physical deformity to come before God, and mixtures of things are often described as an abomination. It says, uh, for whatever reasons, and it obviously can be confusing, there's a message in Leviticus that outward wholeness and togetherness is representative, symbolizing of something of God's holiness, and is necessary to be uh, you know, part of God's people in different ways and at different levels. And it's sort of a message that God communicates uh, through Leviticus, say, three and a half thousand years ago. So people with defiling skin diseases, once they've been said, there's something about them, God has said, is not whole, is not complete as uh, a person should be, and therefore is not capable of coming into God's presence. They have to live outside the camp. Now, obviously, that's incredibly strange, um, but we'll, we'll come on back to that in a second. But that's kind of part of the way Leviticus, Leviticus communicates wholeness and some of the consistency of the book. Now, the won't go that just yet. The camp in Israel said that, that last passage they had to live outside the camp and had to walk around being unclean. Now, the Israelite camp. Right at the centre of it was the tabernacle, which was essentially a tent where all the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, the promises of God were kept, where the altars were that you uh, performed the sacrifices, which were incredibly central and important to the people of Israel. And essentially where it was where God dwelt. The Israelites were a called out holy people, which is why we can learn from them in that sense, 
And God called them to be his people. And he said he was going to dwell among them. And he dwelt in the center of the camp. And it was the most holy place. And literally, uh, and we'll see this more next week, because you get closer and closer into the tabernacle and the different curtains and altars and stuff, you get to what's called the most holy place. We could only go once a year and if you were the high priest and stuff. And so that's the picture. So... To go to the tabernacle was to sort of uh, and do stuff there was to be a priest, to be really, really holy. To live in the camp around it was to be part of God's holy people. But if you were not holy, if you were not complete, if you were not whole, which in this case is someone with a defiling skin disease, you could not dwell and live close to God. You were just not allowed to do it. You were put outside the camp. And this quote from one of the commentators here says this, to live outside the camp was to be cut off from the blessings of the covenant, that is God's promises. It was little wonder that when a man, or presumably a woman as well, was diagnosed as unclean, he had to go into mourning. That was the description he read, hair unkempt. And it's like they're in mourning. He experienced a living death. His life as a member of God's people, experiencing God's blessing, came to an end. It's like life is over. You've acquired a skin condition, a skin disease, and your life as you knew it is over. You can no longer be close to God and you're kicked out of your family and your friends and your covenant people. You're outside the camp. You have to say that you're unclean. You have to look unkempt. You're not allowed to defile the people and go close. It's pretty drastic, isn't it? It's like, man, that's really tough. What's going on there? God, isn't that incredibly unfair? See, when we looked at the odd food laws, you know, and you can eat certain things, but you can eat fish of the sea, but nothing that wiggles too much if it hasn't got scales and stuff. It's bizarre, but at least it's your choice. At least there's an element of choice in it. What's going on for the poor people here? The defiling skin condition, that their life is over, like a living death. It's like they're dead to God and people kicked out. Isn't that incredibly unfair? It's not their fault that they've ended up with the skin condition. And I hope there's two things that, in a sense, can challenge us and, and help us think, uh, think through that. And the, the first one is that uh, we can really grow and learn about an awe of God and his holiness. And the fact is, he is the one that calls the shots. It's him that's God, not us, and it's him that makes the decisions. If you approach the subject of why shouldn't they be allowed to be part of the people close to God you end up in all sorts of problems. If you approach it as, how is it can anyone be before God, a holy God, then it gives you a very different perspective and in many ways is a much more uh, biblical perspective. Here's a passage from the uh, Old Testament uh, which gives something of a picture of this. So this is later on the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He has a vision. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah has drawn close 
uh, in Old Testament times to the, something of the glory, holiness, and awesomeness of God. And he's not questioning what's my rights in this situation, you know, what am I allowed to or not to do. He is fearful and overcome with a sense of his own inadequacies, inadequacies and sinfulness and almost the danger of him being this close to God when he knows he's not really right for that, as it were. It's not, he's not suddenly going, you know, any one of us can come before God as if it doesn't mean anything, as if it's nothing, as if God isn't holy, as if he isn't distinct and awesome and powerful and amazing. He's caught a glimpse of it and he's fearful and thinking, I'm in the wrong place. I shouldn't be here before God. I can look in myself, my own life. And his, what he expresses is unclean lips, the ways he's been speaking. And, and he's, he's aware. And the passage goes on and uh, an angel I mean, it's all in a vision. Pictor, an angel, um, takes a coal from the altar. Again, sort of sacrificial language coming out of Leviticus-type place to cleanse him, make him able to be in God's presence. He wasn't coming out like anyone can do this. Anyone can waltz into uh, to God's presence. He wasn't questioning God, as in why are certain people not allowed uh, and certain people are allowed, what's going on. It's just he's seen something God and he's in awe of God. And we see even in sort of New Testament, I think you get that image of Jesus. Now, thankfully, and one of the reasons why I chose these passages, skin laws and, and the food laws before, is when you look at Jesus, it's clear uh, that the rules of Leviticus clearly do no, uh, no longer apply to us today. So defiling skin disease in Leviticus um, probably wasn't leprosy, by the way, it's probably scholars debate what it was, but in the New Testament, you see people with skin disease, often referred to as leprosy, which again may or may not have been leprosy in terms of modern medical terms, uh, but they are unclean in society. They're, they are like, it's described in Leviticus, they're outside uh, the cities in this case, because they're not living in the wilderness anymore, they're living in towns and cities, and they're kept separately so they do not defile God's people. Uh, and that's the way they live. So um, they are marginalised from society. And numbers of occasions you see uh, lepers calling to Jesus from afar, or sort of approaching him at a distance, saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean, you can heal me. And here, it's not that, that almost like the holiness bans the uncleanness from coming, but the holiness and compassion of Jesus, showing where God was always wanting to get to, overwhelms the situation, reaches out powerful stories on a number of occasions in the New Testament, touches the leper, says, I am willing, be clean. And the holiness overwhelms the uncleanness, and draws people into God's presence. That's his heart, isn't it, that people are drawn. But they knew there was a sense of distance, and Jesus was different. And Peter had one of his early encounters with Jesus shows this as well. So this is a story uh, from the Gospels, and um, this is Jesus speaking. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, but here's Peter's reaction to this miracle. So they signaled their partners to come in, uh, in the other boat to come and help them. They began to fill both boats so, so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. He encountered something of Jesus' glory, the one that isn't bothered by skin conditions anymore, wants everybody to come close to him, but it wasn't just a casual thing. There's something of the majesty and holiness of Jesus revealed in that miracle to Peter at the time that rather than he's going, this is fantastic, look at all these fish, let's have a big supper and invite some people around. He's suddenly aware of his own lack before this guy in the boat that's just done what should not be possible. There's a revealing that he's more than who he just looks like. There's God come to earth and he's overwhelmed. And he's almost scared. He's like, I don't want to be with you. Remember just saying that you don't want to be with you. But there's an awe that has come over him and he's aware that he's not quite adequate to be in his presence. He's not casually just hanging around with Jesus at this point. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. He has to calm him down. He says, no, it's fine. It is okay. And of course, Jesus goes on to make a way for people to come into his presence, into the presence of God with his own sacrifice on the cross, with his resurrection three days later, opening up the door that we can all know him. But it's not separate from the sense of awe and the fact that God has made the way for us to come before him. Going back to those passages, it's the wrong way of looking at it, saying, God, why have you excluded that person who's they've got a defiling skin disease from your, your presence? The better question is, who can come before God? He's holy. Have we, in a, your own walk, in our own faith, have we almost grown too presumptuous? Listen, we have security in God. Our identity, we're going to talk about it in a second, is in Him. He has made a way for us. But has that... Has that become almost presumption and familiarity with your relationship with God that something of the awe and his holiness and the provocation to your own life has gone? God is something you acquired a while back when you were saved and has now become like a little accessory as you walk around in life. He's no longer the awesome Lord of heaven and earth who you bow the knee before. You've forgotten where the New Testament says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling despite the security and the enormous love of God. And we live casually. And we're not aware of what God's like and the way that reflects on the way we're called to live for him. And something of the awe of him has left our lives. I just say, <laughs> preachers, I hope, are always affected by the sermons. I'm deeply challenged by that myself. And almost hopefully there's a whole range of things that spring to your mind, even though they spring to my mind, thinking I need to repent of that. It's a slack attitude. It's, it's living indifferently to God. He's holy. And if he were to turn up, as it were, we love his presence, don't we? Say God's presence is among us. Do we even say it's like a casual, oh, God's with us. He's awesome. He burns up sin. He has nothing to do with sin ever. He needed to like send Jesus to the cross to make a way. It was that terrible, that big a deal. And we say we love God, we love his presence, and we live casually as a result, as if the two aren't equated. You know, who is allowed into his presence? You are allowed into your presence, into his presence if you're a Christian. But it came at great cost. It's not a casual thing. It's not something you just presume upon in terms of God. Um, as a, a, we actually looked at this passage um, earlier on in the, in the year as we, we preached through Thessalonians. Uh, 
but as a prayer here, may God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. We do believe in the bodily return of Jesus Christ. There's an end to all that we know at the moment, plenty of mystery about it. And this verse is sort of saying something about it is an extremely holy moment. And for us to be ready, there will be a moment when we come before God, when Jesus arrives. And there's, a, uh, there's an intensity there then of being ready, meaning we need strength from God so that we lead blameless and holy lives. And Jesus told other parables, not being casual about the way you live and then you get caught out. It's one of the big motivations of us to be, live and be ready for God. And I think if you'd have lived in the uh, time maybe of Leviticus, and some people exclude and some people in, hopefully what would have gone on for many of them was, uh, I'm allowed to be before God. This is a privileged thing. The, um, and, and just quickly, the, the verses of the defiling skin diseases actually go on almost bizarrely because we think of it medically. It wasn't really a medical thing going on. It talks about those conditions affecting clothing and affecting building. Buildings, the same kind of words, and it's described. It, God is communicating, actually, the world has fallen. It's alluding back to the Genesis story. Actually, anyone to come into my presence now in this messed up, fallen world, this broken world, it's an act of grace. And all these things, all this brokenness has it is excluding people. There's a gracious place uh, where you can come before me. So I think we can learn, hopefully, something of our, our need for awe before God. Uh, that we are allowed, if you're a Christian, you've been changed by Jesus, to come into his presence and not being a casual thing. Uh, but equally, it is an identity as well. It's not that what I'm trying to say is we should all be very insecure Will God let us into his presence? Will he strike me down? I haven't had a particularly good week or something like that. And that, that is completely far from what God wants from us as well. But if you've been changed by Jesus, if you've given your life to him, then your, your identity is in him. It actually got prophesied earlier as well, that sort of sense of um, us laying hold of our identity. You know, it wasn't just about what you'd done, sort of food laws. It was about who the person was that was allowed into God's presence. Somebody who did not have a defiling skin disease. You have the ability, they had the ability, sorry, to come before God. They were allowed to come. It's almost like the identity. It's who they are, an outward identity, obviously, for the guys in Leviticus, for the Israelites. But they're able to. They're fine, and through the sacrificial system, they could come before them. It's who they were, the holy people of God, and God had made access for them. Now, for us, of course, it's no longer an outward thing. It's an inward thing, and, and to say Jesus isn't bothered about skin conditions, but he's bothered about our heart being changed, a new creation, a heart of flesh, so that we are changed, and our identity becomes someone who can come before God, Hopefully with reverence and awe and fear and trembling. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs says many times, and the right attitude. But you, we can. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's made a way, from us, a way for us. And you can be secure in that identity. You are a child of God. The Bible even speaks of you have even been given rights. For all that this is awesome God, it's like you have rights as a Christian to be called a child of God, to come into his presence. And that should be our identity. It's who we have become. And if we understand that more and more deeply and increasingly, then it helps us live that out. We are a holy people. 
And every time we essentially live out of an identity based on something else, it weakens the sense of us being able to really live out how God wants us to live. So if you feel like your identity is based on your successes in life, or your failures in life as you perceive it, and that's how you think of yourself, then you'll end up living out of that basis. If you, if you feel better or worse about yourself according to how many possessions you've got or money that you've acquired, as if that's who you become. You become somehow more if you've got more and somehow less if you've got less. That's no way you'll be able to live a holy life before God if you base your identity on that. You know, that sexuality and gender, Jesus changes us. That your holiness becomes you're loved by God. You're a holy person. You don't have to live out of however you perceive yourself in that way and people's opinions of you uh, and relationships, even your own opinions about the self. They're all to fade beyond what God calls us to. He says, you are a person that come into my presence. I have made you holy. That's the message to a Christian. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, even before the creation of the world. He's picked us out and said, we are holy and blameless. We can come into his presence. He wants us. He loves us. Even though he's awesome, even though he's never had anything to do with any of the sin we constantly get ourselves messed up with, um, we can still access his presence, his promises, his blessing, his love, his security whenever we want because he's made us holy and blameless. Jesus has changed y- your life and you've given your life to him. So just finish off on these two uh, verses. And these sort of two angles that God needs to strengthen our hearts so that we will look to be blameless and holy. That's an important thing. We can't just live slack lives before God. And yet he has already made us holy and blameless. He's done that in us. An identity thing. It's like a tension there we need to live out. And I just want to leave in that sense, maybe you feel you're particularly in almost one camp or the other. That the way your mind has gone as we speak, the way God's speaking to you now, you think, man, the whole way I'm living my life as a Christian is really lacking in a sense of awe before God, of awareness of his holiness, of my need to follow his ways more securely. You know, in a sense, you've, you've just got... You know, it's become a casual thing for you to be a Christian in a way that is not very holy. And you need to respond to him today. You need to repent. You need to say, no, I realize God is awesome and I want to live my life in that way. Or maybe you feel that it is more your identity, that you struggle to see yourself as a holy person, someone that God has uh, chosen and accepted and changed and in that sense, you struggle to live out some aspects of Christian life. You wish, it, you know, prayer was easy. You wish your life, uh, you know, was stronger in certain areas, lived out for God. But you just don't see yourself in that way. And you need to hear again that if you've given your life to Jesus, it, it's changed you now. There's no perfect people in the room, but our core identity has been changed. And he loves you and he's made you holy and blameless. And you need to think of yourself in that way. It doesn't mean we suddenly start getting off, I'm holy and blameless, I live like I, uh, however I want to, and make all sorts of mistakes. It's almost the exact opposite. You know that, no, I'm holy and blameless. That's what Jesus has done for me. I'm no longer 
the person that does this or does that, the sinner in these sort of ways. And therefore, you live out of that identity of who Jesus has made you. So maybe you'd like to stand. I'd love to pray for us. And just um, you know, give you time to just a few minutes to reflect on that. What the challenge is for almost you is God says be holy as I'm holy what the, what's the challenge for you do you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time so he makes you holy what areas of life do you want him to strengthen your heart in so that you work out that holy and blamelessness how do you need to hear again that you are holy and blameless that's your identity so please reflect um, we might pray for certain people in a bit but you please reflect individually and then I'll pray for all of us Jesus, you taught us to pray, Lord, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father, uh, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Lord, and Jesus, you straight away, almost in the opening words of that prayer, got us to reflect that God is our Father. He loves us. We're part of the family. We're secure. But he's holy. He's holy. And those two things almost work in tandem and impress upon our hearts, Lord. We thank you for your great love Lord Jesus we thank you no one has loved you like you have loved us Lord there is no greater security than resting in that love Lord Jesus but you are always holy there's always that challenge calling us so onward to become more like you Lord never sitting back in a uh, in a way that is um, is unholy Lord God is taking you for granted and we pray Jesus impress upon our hearts Lord individually and as a church Lord we want to be a church that grows in holiness in the seriousness of our faith in our desire to reflect you to people around us with how we live Lord God Jesus we want to see you work through us and see many people come to know you Lord God we know that should be a holy thing Lord it's not just a you know just activity and a, a flurry of meetings or anything Lord we're a holy people and we pray help us live that out Lord Lord, speak to us, Lord, into our hearts where we've grown slack, Lord Jesus, where we've grown casual, Lord God, where you want to kindly, lovingly pull us up, say there's more for us, the offer of holiness to come before you. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that is who we are. Lord, your church, people rescued by you as a holy and blameless people. Lord, and for those of us here that need to hear that again and again to strengthen us, Lord, to encourage us to live for you, to know that we are different. We do belong to you, Lord God. Lord, I pray, will you speak to people by your spirit, Lord? Lord, those that <laughs> constantly, Lord God, for whatever reasons, feel they can't quite come into the, your presence. They're not quite good enough, Lord Jesus, yet you are spoken over them. They're holy and blameless, loved by you. Jesus, will you strengthen hearts in this room, Lord God? Will you bring freedom, Lord Jesus? Lord, we thank you for all you've done. Lord Jesus, we do bow the knee. You call the shots, Lord Jesus. Lord, you have made the way for us to come to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we don't presume to take it upon ourselves, Lord God. We thank you, though, that you have made the way, that you offer it. That's a wide, uh, it's a great offer, Lord Jesus, but it's that narrow door, Lord, through you and you only, Lord Jesus. Um, we thank you and we bless you. Amen. Amen. Uh,